Welcome, welcome. Welcome back to the Onyx Report. Hope everybody is well. It has been a crazy week already. Uh, so much going on. We got so much to cover tonight. It's, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Hoping everybody's well. Vernon King, appreciate that support. I want to say that straight out. Uh, Damon, what's going on? Right? TD Hip Hop, what's going on? Moada, what's happening? Shout out to you. I hope you guys caught the, uh, oh, Professor, what's up? You guys caught the little uh, thank you to my Patreon and YouTube members and, uh, and supporters. I will probably play that again uh, before we close out tonight. MLR, what's happening? All right? So we are, we got a lot to, to cover. Got 99 in the building already. Please like, share, and subscribe. Support the show. I don't want to wait too long. I want to jump right in um, because of how much we have to cover. Um, but as y'all know, that can be a little bit. I've, I've got some new, uh, some new stuff going on. You know, uh, new equipment. So I'm trying to get that all together. So you'll have to bear with me as we go through some slight growing pains. Miss um, Kalila, how you doing, lady? Brenda, how you doing? Um, what is that? Fast attack. Appreciate that support. All right. Let me get this up. So first and foremost, I want us to. Uh, I wanted to kind of introduce you to some of the new um, support options that are available. Let me get that up. Thanks, Gold Professor. Appreciate that support. All right. What's up, my boy Floyd in the building? All right. West Coast. What's going on? All right. So just so just to let you know, uh, to support the Onyx Report uh, with Dr. T. Hassan Johnson, there's a couple ways you can go about doing it. Right. Um, first way you can do that is to click the join button on YouTube, which is right next to the subscribe button, uh, and you can join. And now there are a few new options. I always have my Patreon options for those who are interested in just the film reviews and some of the random perks, you know, especially any of the documents that I kind of cover, like when I do uh, the Archetype series, you can get a copy of any of the Archetype series that I've done. I'll send that to you in a PDF uh, format. Um, yeah, Ron, I are good, Kalila, thanks for asking. Crimson Cure, good to see you in here. Uh, please stay in. I know you're in and out. You got a lot going, but uh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be mentioning something. So I want you to stay in here, uh, Kendra. Uh, Force Windu, Green Gorilla, what's going on? Um, anyway, so back to the uh, the membership options. So of course we have the gold level membership. Uh, you get shouted out. You get Q and A question priority when I have a Q and A. Uh, diamond level membership, which is just above that. You get uh, those same perks plus access to the chat uh, for the member only show the members only show is right after my Wednesday show so right after this very show on YouTube if you are a member just go to my channel click the community tab and the link for the after show referred to as office hours is already up that also applies to my patreon members if you go into the post you'll see a link for the after show that's already there so once I am done with the show tonight we will go in and have a members only discussion there so diamond level memberships, you get chat access to that. Um, and then you have Onyx level memberships and they get all of the perks you've seen in gold and diamond plus the film review perks uh, that the Patreon members get. And uh, the Patreon membership and the Onyx level membership are pretty much the same level. They're just on two different platforms. Uh, Aquatechie, appreciate that support. 
Uh, Joe, the average brother, Joe, average brother, appreciate the support. ABX, thank you, sir. Um, good to see you in here. So let's see. Um, yes, and then after that, we got two new levels. We got Meteor level, um, right? That's on-screen access to member-only live streams. So you get to come right up in the stream yard and dialogue with my guests. Um, I'm hoping that uh, I can get both BGS and GG in here tonight, but I don't know their schedules, so they may or may not be able to join in the after show. Um, but hopefully they will. Um, but after that, we have the top level, which is called Black Opal. And the Black Opal member gets to even uh, request particular topics. So look into that. You'll see uh, what those options look like when you go ahead and join into YouTube. They'll show them to you. Um, and we can go from there. Let me see. I'm trying to... Well, my equipment is acting up in here for a minute. My phone is deciding it doesn't like me. But it keeps buzzing. So anyway, so yeah, so that's the new membership platform. So look out for that. Uh, find new ways to uh, choose between the different ways to support. Right now, we're looking at about six different ways that you can support, and that doesn't even include just going in and sending in a contribution. So uh, check those out. Look into those, and I hope to see you on the other side of that. Councilor Murray, appreciate that support. Malika, what's going on? Um, see people coming in still. Um, which is good to see we at 207 so yes please like share and subscribe get the word out because we are going to be dealing with a number of things tonight um but i also want to plug uh which we will be doing next week we will be talking about lovecraft since the season is over and i will be joined by the esteemed bgs Ibmore and green gorilla and we will be chopping up the gender dynamics of the show lovecraft country but from a black masculinist standpoint. And there were some serious statements being made about black men or their absence that need to be teased out and analyzed. Uh, so, you know, usually whenever you see anybody talking about Lovecraft, it's pretty much done from a, a feminist standpoint or whatnot. But no, you know, this time we're going to get into it and we're going to look at what black men think of these kinds of black feminist inspired uh, writings and, and productions uh, that have been popular, most particularly since the early 1980s. And this is in line with that. So we're gonna be delving into that and I hope you guys can join us. So that'll be my next Wednesday show more than likely. Also for my film review people, particularly my Patreon uh, supporters in the film review series, but also my diamond level supporters, um, uh, you know, keep an eye out cause I'll be doing a review of Attack the Block, uh, which is a movie came out a couple years ago, a number of years ago, actually. It's uh, John Boyega's big break actually prior to Star Wars. So come check that out. I care what's going on. Good to see you in here, All right? So look out for that. But as you guys know, tonight we will be dealing with Ice Cube, right? Ice Cube versus Democrats versus BLM versus Republicans versus black feminists. It's basically Ice Cube against the world. And uh, props to him. I don't think he would want it any different. You know, I think he don't have a problem with it at all. I gotta tell him, I gotta tell you, He's been fairly unfazed throughout most of the, the, the negativity that he's gotten. So we're going to delve into that in a little bit, right? Get that going. So I hope um, that you had a good week and that it continues to get better despite all of this crap that's going on that needs to be called out. And I hope you will join me in calling it out because this mess is ridiculous, right? Uh, Michael Cavanis, what's going on? Good to see you. Officer Faulkner, all right. Always good to have a crew in the building. All right, so getting jumping right in, we are going to start with what y'all know to be 
my new uh, regular series. It is random. It is not something that I go out and look for stuff to find. It's just what hits me in a given week. And this is the Sacred Black Masculine series. And this is basically a shout out to those who, uh, those brothers in particular that have done something that merits uh, reflection, observation, and definitely a shout out uh, because it's often the case that even if it makes the news, it doesn't stay in the news for long. So I definitely want to take a moment to make sure that people, uh, brothers in particular, you know, mainly, uh, are shouted out. And this week, um, I'm only going to cover this one because we have so much to get to uh, that I want to just make sure we get it in. But uh, these are our two young brothers who launched a meal kit delivery service during the pandemic. I get the impression from listening to the interview that they were already chefs and they wanted to provide a chef experience um, for uh, everyday people. Rise above the world. Thanks for becoming a new member. Good to see you in here. Um, and so they wanted to kind of shout that out. They wanted to, um, you know, get their work out there in the midst of a pandemic. And they took advantage of the situation, not in a negative way by any means, but in a way that was beneficial to them. Uh, quick shout out to Enigma, my, uh, uh, Michelle and Anwar. Appreciate the Cash App support. Right. Um, so they went ahead and did that and started the business. It looks like it's successful. It's going pretty well. Um, look up possibilities, uh, you know, and see what you can find. Uh, it is a YouTube video. I, I did not, uh, normally I have some information in there. I didn't put it in for this one. So you can look up this video. This is actually a YouTube video. You can put in the title, Two Brothers Launched a Meal Kit Delivery Service, and it should come up. Uh, so go ahead and support them. Find out where, you know, how you can go about doing so. I don't recall which city they are operating in, but more than anything, I just wanted to shout out the fact that they did it. And, they, and they're not alone. There's a lot of brothers that have been doing innovative things in the last six or seven months that just really haven't been acknowledged. Um, uh, what, let's see. Uh, let's see. Hmm. Okay. All right. So shout out to them. And like I said, I was just going to deal with that just real quick. Um, if you have anything you want to add to the Sacred Black Masculine series, go ahead and send that to me. You can do it through my website, www.thassanjohnson.com. You can send me an email through there. Or, or if you're already connected to me on Facebook, you can go ahead and do it. If you put it in the comments here, I may or may not be able to get to it because there's so many comments that tend to jump off. So, um, yeah, I apologize about that, but just go ahead and send it through those means and I'll be happy to shout it out as long as it's legitimate. Please make sure anything you send me, even if it's a contribution to the blackmail political agenda, that you send some supporting documentation, some links, some data uh, to go along with it. And of course, if you're suggesting an, an article, make sure you provide the article link uh, and use reputable sources, if you will. Appreciate that. Eagle Eyes, appreciate that support. All right. Now, this week, uh, I wanted to do a couple of quick shout outs before we jump in as well. Uh, one in particular, I want you guys to support Dr. Ronald Neal's channel. Go ahead and go to YouTube. You can find it there, Ronald Neal. He's been burning up Facebook. If you're a friend of his, if he doesn't know you, you may not get access on Facebook. But uh, he started a YouTube channel and he's started to voice some of the things he's been writing on Facebook. And it's brilliant. Um, you know, as is my brother Green Gorilla, G with the PhD. Uh, also, I, we kind of, you know, call him GG out of love. He has a powerful show. Brilliant. So check those out. Look for Green Gorilla. Look for Donald, Dr. Ronald Neal uh, on YouTube and support those brothers. Uh, PhDs who are out here trying to uh, make some statements about what's going on uh, and doing so outside of what we are, uh, you know, normally the, the, the spaces we're 
told to operate in within the academy. Uh, Brooklyn student, appreciate that support. All right. Um, let's see. So shout out to that. Shout out to the brother. Um, and this is real quick. This is uh, Juan Angry Man Valdez, uh, you know, powerful YouTuber. He's been around in the Manosphere uh, uh, almost, you know, since the beginning. He's, he's considered Generation 1 as far as that, uh, 1.0 as they refer to it. And recently he did a show where he was talking about Taraji P. Henson. And he, he shouted me out because we, we had a brief uh, exchange in, I don't know what you call it, the, the, the Twitter message back and forth, but it wasn't public. It was the private Twitter. And he asked me what I thought about this dynamic with Generation X, you know, black women, particularly these, particularly these celebrities and the kind of uh, things they were doing, like these, you know, these, these, you can see right here on the screen if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook or on Twitch, uh, you can see the image, this is Taraji uh, at the left-hand bottom part of the screen on her 50th birthday, uh, where, you know, just before she announced that she broke up with her fiance, he wasn't present. Uh, so she took a bunch of these, you know, pictures, which some of, some of us refer to as thirst trap pictures at, you know, celebrating her 50th birthday. And, and, and Valdez asked me what I thought and I was in the midst of running back and forth, so I just kind of, you know, shot a, a couple of statements and, you know, joked around with him and we laughed a little bit. But when I saw on the show that he, you know, he shouted out some of my, uh, you know, some of that conversation, I said, you know what, I, I really should have given him more than that. Uh, and so I just wanted to shout out a quick apology for not uh, going in with the depth that I should have in that just brief exchange. And it's not about, it's, I'm not really, you know, gonna say anything he doesn't know but just, you know, I, he asked the question and I should have addressed it more thoroughly. Uh, so, he, you know, basically the question is, why do, why do they do this? You know, why is it that they, you know, kind of often present themselves? And again, we may just be talking about celebrities, but to some extent, I've seen this with non-celebrities as well. And so there's a couple of things I wanted to just kind of put out there. Uh, unreasonable man, I appreciate the support. Um, and so basically, you know, one of the things I wanted to say is this is... Generation X, particularly black women, right, really enjoyed access. They enjoyed access to the middle class or at least the trappings of it to a degree their mothers and their daughters never did. Okay. This is the Oprah generation. They had an example, you know, in Oprah's supposed billionaire. They had a series of policies and practices that opened the door for them in ways that again, their grandparents, their, their parents and their children never enjoyed. I mean, this is a group of, you know, this, this demographic, you know, was the first demographic where you really started to see, you know, women making six figures with nothing but a bachelor's degree, just consulting for a company. I mean, this was unprecedented in some respects and I'm not to suggest this is all of them, but you know, this was an, a doorway that they had access to that most other women didn't. And so that being said, um, they enjoyed this double minority status. Now, this is something that boomers to some extent got to enjoy. But again, it really crystallized with Generation X black women. Now, I talk about the promotion demotion thesis as I've talked about it a, few, a number of shows ago. And it's my thesis that uh, particularly in the 1970s, right where you see the onset of the war on drugs, right where you see the onset of the prison industrial complex, that is at the same time roughly that you started to see black women being offered a doorway that by and large black men weren't right whether you're talking about poor women and welfare support or working class to middle class women that had access to you know higher education 
These dynamics created concrete differences in the quality of life between themselves and many black men, right? And this is personified in certain celebrities, Taraji being one, you know, you had a number of others, uh, Mary J. Blige became the voice of that kind of generation, so to speak, the scorned, you know, woman failed by a black man. All of these dynamics came about, you know, really at around the same time period for them. So one of the things that they were raised with more than anything was the sense that they could have it all, right? You can make six figures, you can be a mother, you can have a husband, you can have kids, you can have this life, this, 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 this enjoyable, perfect kind of life. And, uh, and so they saw that more than anything. That was second wave, you know, third wave feminism, excuse me. And so they got to enjoy that idea Although it wasn't really rooted in reality in many respect, in many respects, so you know the, the divorce levels you know jumped through the roof because, uh, and and you know up to eighty percent it was mostly women initiating these divorces. But the reason I argue that these divorces began to go through the roof is because as they were being celebrated and urged on and pushed on, especially by their mothers, right? You know, boomer mothers who wanted to live the lives that their daughters were now getting access to in the early 1980s and beyond, they were pushed uh, to enjoy life at the highest and to expect the most, even if it was unrealistic, even if it was outside of the realm of reality for most other black men in particular. So it's not an accident that you see these women, you know, marrying high quality men even and leaving them. Right, because they wanted more. I mean, and this is something that we see a lot uh, on on YouTube, you know, where you see people coming, you know, calling into different shows, and you know, they they themselves may be on welfare with three kids at fifty or fifty three, and they're looking for Edris Elba. Right, the, the the entitlements, the expectations were a product of policy. They were a product of access that this generation had more than any other. And so when I look at Taraji P. Henson's shots here, you know, the half-naked beach pictures, a lot of that idea of being able to have it all indefinitely kind of plays in. There's a certain entitlement there that plays in. And I think it's kind of led to a culture in some respects of, you know, seeing black men as something beneath them and at the same time uh, wanting to live this kind of life. And it's a life that in many ways is... Um, kind of in competition with and then yet inspired by white women. I mean, you can look at the picture on the right that I have here. That's Alicia Garza. We're going to go into that a little bit later in the show. But, you know, if you look at the picture, what does she look like? I mean, if we ask the question who she's competing with, who who this generation of women are competing with, look at the picture and you tell me, right? So, yeah, I just kind of wanted to get a little bit of that across because I didn't, I didn't, you know, give the brother a thorough enough um, answer in regard to my perspective. And, um, and I wanted to, to extend that again. It's not to say he doesn't know any of that. It's just simply he asked and I didn't, I didn't answer him as thoroughly as I should have. So shout out to the brother. Check out his shows. He, he has the Masculine Sequitur. He has a Black Talk, a Boss Talk Radio. You can check him out. Uh, thorough brother, as usual. And he's been doing his thing for quite a while. Um, so yeah, so check that out. Let me move ahead a little bit. Now this one is a little different, right? This one is a little different. I'm gonna be doing, and I'm not gonna be, well, I don't know how often this will happen. It really depends on what I see and what's going on. But, um, you know, just wanted to shout out a couple of things real quick. So I'm, I'm referring this to this as Sacred Black, Fe Black Feminine series. I, again, I, I'm not going out my way looking for this, but if it happens, it happens. Um, hold on, let me do something here. 
make sure. Oh, okay, yeah, that's what it is. It went off. So let me get that back up. All right. Okay. So again, yeah, sacred uh, black feminine, uh, feminine, and this is not uh, you know the traditional black feminist inspired goddess worship. It's none of that. It's just really shouting out sisters who have done uh, work in regard to um, you know supporting black men um, in ways that uh, they you know in many ways they have to fight to do, and they're usually ridiculed, particularly by other women, for doing so. Now, first up. You know, a uh, native to the to to the YouTube streets. I want to shout out is is Sister Kendra, Crimson Cure. She's in the comment section, going through something that's incredibly um, um, difficult. And 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 really, those of us around my age understand this period she's going into. This is the period where our, our parents are having health issues. You know what I mean? Our parents are passing. Our grandparents, if they were still alive, this is that transition period. Uh, I heard Tyler Perry talk about it once, that time period in your life in your 40s and 50s where the elders in your family begin to transition. And that's what Sister Kendra is going through right now with her father. And I want to shout out uh, to her. And I think I can speak for the brothers in the manosphere that, uh, that, that appreciate Kendra's work. We just want to collectively kind of say we're here for you, sister, and we hope you're well. We know what you're going through. There's no, uh, there's nothing I can say to take the pain away of what you're dealing with in terms of the transition of your father, but uh, clearly he means a great deal to you, which is not something that I can say, um, you know, happens to everybody, but it, it clearly shows you two had a very powerful relationship, and I do hope uh, that you're able to transition through this uh, the best way possible, and you got my number, shout out if there's anything you need, um, but at the end of the day, we stand here with you. So, you know, shout out to you, sister. All right. Um, so peace to Kendra. Yeah. Next up, I want to shout this out. This is not actually the person that I'm shouting out. This is the, this is what they responded to. So this person uh, on Twitter, right, said black male rappers rapped about hoes and bees and black women called them out, but no one listened and the rappers made fortunes. A black woman is poised to be VP and black male rappers are actively promoting the white supremacist choice. It's always been about hating black women. Right about now, I want to shout out Dr. Stacey Patton. You don't know who Dr. Stacey Patton is. I mean, her Facebook uh, pages are booked. I think she has multiple pages, but you can also catch her on Twitter. Uh, very powerful scholar, brilliant, uh, her observations. And she does a great deal of work on children particularly in terms of paternal behavior in regard to, you know, rearing kids. Uh, but she has been known to speak out uh, about anti-black misandry, about sexism in general. And she responded to this particular tweet in a, in a very brilliant way. She starts out by saying, you know, let me get this straight. Three individual black rappers have publicly expressed their support uh, for what she calls the orange demon or have not thrown support in for Biden. Three. So now this is a tiny sampling of rappers and black men qualifies as a valid broad brush generalization of rappers and black men's political consciousness and feelings about black women. Oh, and this is why black women should go on a sex strike. We'll be getting to that later um, because black men are not thinking beings, but rather primitive males driven by fewer sexualists. I'm so sick of these remixed white supremacist narratives. So then what do we make of, of the small crop of black women, public figures who've thrown their support toward Trump? Do we extend like analysis to them? The fact is that black people, especially black men, 
are caught between voting for two different versions of white supremacy and both are committed to locking us up, shooting us on the streets and strangling our communities, right? Shout out to her, Dr. Stacey Patton, very powerful response and much needed, much appreciated. And we'll be seeing a little bit more of this in a little bit. Also wanna shout out my homegirl on uh, Facebook, Paula White. Uh, she had a tremendous couple of responses to uh, the tweet put forward by one Jamel Hill a few days ago, right? Um, actually, yeah, yesterday, yeah. And Jamel says, I have increasingly found that many black men just want better access to patriarchy. They don't actually want it dismantled. And I mean, I've heard these critiques for some years now. It's, it's really quite common. Um, Brio, appreciate that uh, PayPal support. Thank you. Hope you're well, brother. Um, and I've heard this for a while. And this is actually something Dr. Tommy Curry deals with in The Man Not, right? These arguments about black men wanting to either emulate uh, pa white patriarchy or replace white patriarchs, even though black men have actually been the targets of white patriarchs more than any other group and have been in constant consultation with white patriarchy since the beginning, since the onset of slavery. And yet, we are often treated and dismissed as nothing more than wanting to emulate um, these patriarchs, which is an absolute, absolute ridiculous assertion. Okay, lost myself there for a minute. ABX, appreciate the support. All right, so uh, Paula goes in. Uh, she says, oh, stop with the infantilization and demonization of black men already. Black men are the most progressive men in many ways. Do the research, yet on the right and on the left, it has become a sport to define them by, by the misguided in their ranks. Stop, right? And so she posted this on Facebook and, and as she posted the tweet and her response, she says, I'm swimming upstream on this one. I know most will think I'm crazy. Most will not agree. But as the mom of three black sons and the former leader of hundreds of others, I cannot abide the constant assault from both the right and the left. When buffoons like Diamond and Silk stand for Trump or when artists like uh, Chrisette Michelle perform for him, we criticize them individually. We don't ascribe anything they do to black womanhood. But 50 Cent puts out a knee-jerk tweet and all of a sudden black men are trash. Ice Cube, who has never met Trump, puts out a plan in concert with leading black scholars and he's naive wannabe leader of an army of Trumpified black men. For God's sake, Jamel, the white wedding dress you wore a few months ago is part of the patriarchy. And when they gave you away at your wedding, patriarchy too. Black women are often more invested in patriarchy than men and disappointed that black men lack its trappings, but there is little, if any, interrogation of that. Black men have had a scant access to the patriarchy and research shows they are much more egalitarian, sharing chores, doing on traditional jobs around the house than other men. It's just that as the highest homeless population, the highest incarcerated, the highest unemployed, all as a result of racism, they're trying to find their way. They are not looking for the freaking patriarchy. They are seeking human dignity. And like all groups, the more you hurt in hurl insults at them, the more insular and alienated from you they will become. And pretty soon, all the worst things you said about them uh, that were lies will morph into truths, right? Now, this, you know, and there's a reason I started this little quick series with Kendra, because um, in many ways, women who stand against other black women for black men find themselves ridiculed. They call pick me's and all kinds of ridiculous terms. Uh, and these are the kind of things that they go through as well. And so, you know, I just want to extend some support uh, for those sisters because, um, you know, they're talking about the truth. So 
want to shout them, them out for that and much appreciation so shout out to kendra who does this work on a regular basis so please support her show crimson cure um as well as dr stacy Patton and jamel hill all right um all right so moving forward you know we're dealing with our current events um and going in first one up kmov.com boy killed on i-270 left note saying he was running away to see his dad right this is in st louis parkway school district is mourning the loss of sixth grader hit and killed on interstate 270 near olive boulevard tuesday morning family members identified the 11 year old as zaylin wiseman a sixth grader at northeast middle school in uh crev Coire. i probably mispronounced that uh, News 4 spoke with Wiseman's biological mother, Garmisha Terry, who lives in Cape Girardeau. Uh, she said she lost custody of her son when he was seven years old and he lived with her aunt in Maryland Heights. She said she was going through personal things uh, where she wasn't stable, so on and so forth. Uh, Zaylin was funny, bright, bubbly, a joy to everyone. Uh, Terry said Zaylin left a note Tuesday morning before running away, saying he was going to see his father. So shout out to this young man. Sorry he passed. Um, uh, but these are the kind of dynamics at play. And on a much lot wider level, when we see fathers separated from their children, um, we seldom talk about the impact on the children. Obviously, for boys, the impact is, is, is a lack of connection for men, uh, to men, you know, particularly in regard to their own rearing um, and self-definition of manhood. You know, my generation, we ended up looking to music, we looked to culture, we looked to all kinds of things to piecemeal together an identity of masculinity, particularly if we didn't have regular access to our fathers, uh, which is another reason so many Gen X black men uh, have a, a soft spot in their heart for Ice Cube because he was one of those kind of figures. We'll get into that a little bit later, but it also impacts the girls, of course, right? Their very definition of manhood is often supposed to be at least based on their fathers. And yet, you know, in situations where their fathers are not there or not allowed to be there, there is a definite impact. So this young man was actually looking to connect with his father and lost his life doing so. Uh, Darius, appreciate the support, right? All right. Now, a number of the things we're going to be talking about in these current events, I think, are a reflection of the economy, the reflection of, you know, the kind of breaking down of the support systems. And in many ways, at least in the black community, right? One of the things that we see happening is people are really pushing for Biden in hopes that he will restore a status quo that cannot exist in this post-COVID economy. And I can't even say post because it's still going on. But nonetheless, I think that's one of the reasons people are really pushing for uh, for Biden outside of a hatred for Trump. And I'm indifferent, you know, I, I'm, I'm We'll get to what I deal with in a minute. But at the end of the day, um, it's not just the hatred of Trump. It is also a hope that he will restore that status quo. And the economy really won't permit it, but it is a hope nonetheless. Still, in the interim, we've been seeing a ramping up of craziness. And I don't think it's happening in isolation. I think it's very much inspired by the things we're seeing. Evo Sosa and Nick, appreciate that support. Appreciate that. Um, you guys make sure you continue to support the channel best you can right so here we have uh, four indicted on capital murder charges and three 2019 killings in Birmingham right uh, MLR appreciate the support big support on cash app much appreciated thank you 
Um, Jefferson County grand juries are back in business after a months long break because of COVID and several months of uh, several people have now been indicted on capital murder charges. Court records made public Tuesday show four suspects have been in, indicted in three unrelated killings, including a woman accused in the death of a five-year-old family member. Those suspects are Rakia Allen, uh, Layrick Bailey, Travick Ard, Travek Ard, I don't know how you pronounce the names, and Jasmine Robertson. Grand jurors met earlier this month for the first time since the pandemic began. Now you're gonna see, even in my show today, a string of black women initiated murders, right? It's, it's 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 absolutely something crazy going on right now. Mr. Good Vibration, appreciate the support. So you will be seeing more of this, but these are four indicted on capital murder charges just from last year, right? Um, 800 Compton residents to get guaranteed income in two-year pilot program. Uh, you can find this on latimes.com. Later this year, the mayor says uh, the Compton pledge will begin giving 800 Compton residents free cash for a two-year period. Uh, Mayor Brown said she thinks uh, the program will have the greatest number of participants in a single U.S. city. I recognize that there's a need for additional income, especially with the pandemic resulting in record high numbers of unemployment throughout the entire country. I mean, remember, Black America lost half its employment in February, March. Uh, a couple months later, the total of the country, the totality of the United States did uh, lose half its employment as well. So you can imagine the position of black folk. I am actually, and I've said this before, I'm in agreement with a question Antonio Moore asked a few months ago about whether or not we may have lost our professional class in the last six to seven months. I agree. That is a realistic question. When you see women driving up in Benz's delivering groceries and the fact that it's still happening, we're talking real talk, right? So nonetheless, she continues on. She says, this is a great opportunity to address inequalities for black and brown people and also additional opportunities for upward mobility. So far, private donors have contributed 2.5 million uh, to fund the guaranteed income, a charity headed by Nika Soon Xiong, daughter of LA Times owner, Patrick Soon Xiong. And I may have mispronounced that, but uh, Sam, I am, appreciate the support. So you can see, uh, this is something that I think is being beta tested, this idea of whether or not, um, you know, people can, can survive and are willing to, to do so at a minimal level. Uh, I'm not going to suggest it's, it's a, a bad thing outright because I actually do see the level of, de of desperation that is, is growing and has been growing. Now, this is the thing, and this is something BGS uh, pointed out in his latest video earlier today, his latest video, that basically, um, in terms of the economy, in terms of the desperation, the impoverishment, things that are going on, COVID, COVID only accelerated it. It was already happening. It was already headed that direction. COVID just really pushed it. And I agree with his assessment on that. So what they're trying to do in Compton is definitely in, in response to that, but it's, it's on its way to getting worse, right? All right, GBA, uh, GBA, appreciate the support. Yes, universal basic income testing. I agree. I think that's what we're kind of looking at here, but it, it seems to be privately based, so we'll see how that works. Um, but there's obviously going to be some tension around who those 800 uh, people will get to be, right? All right. So moving on. Police uh, are cutting ties um, with domestic violence programs that support BLM, right? Uh, over the summer, Embrace, a domestic violence organization in northwestern Wisconsin, decided to hang Black Lives Matter sign at signs at its four locations. It was small, 
but a meaningful sign of allyship amid a national re reckoning on police violence and the systemic and systemic racism embrace serves survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault in four rural predominantly white counties rusk washburn barron and price and katie Bur uh, bemmett uh bemmett uh, the executive director wanted to ensure people of color felt comfortable visiting um and from there uh, i think in september she said she began receiving emails from local law enforcement who were disturbed by the signs interpreting them as anti-police Around the same time, mass protests had erupted in Wisconsin over the police shooting of Jacob Blake. After some private back and forth, Embrace issued a formal statement online to explain its support of Black Lives Matter. Uh, if we want to end intimate partner violence and sexual violence, we must grapple with our country's long history of racism, slavery, genocide, and colonization. Um, but she says she's noticing a pulling back from the local law enforcement. This is what it is. All right. Uh, case you guys might be familiar with, you guys remember this from a number of months ago in New York, right? Amy Cooper, who um, was, I think she was in the New York Park, uh, main park, a uh, white woman who called 911 on a black bird watcher in Central Park, New York, made a second previously undisclosed call to the police claiming the man was assaulting her, right? Cooper appeared in court remotely at Manhattan Criminal Court in connection with a misdemeanor charge of filing a false police report, which was filed against her in July. If convicted, she could face up to a year in jail. During the filmed encounter, which has been viewed more than 45 million times, Ms. Cooper continued to falsely accuse uh, Mr. Cooper of threatening, no relation, of threatening her as she was on the phone with a 911 operator, all the while New York-based writer, editor, and Harvard grad student, uh, or gra Harvard graduate, stood by at a distance, right? Uh, so I didn't remember that reported initially. Uh, Creole, appreciate that support. Jay Jermaine, thank you. Right. Moving forward. See, this is a little bit more what I was talking about. This one and the next one. Florida woman used tire iron to beat three-year-old boy to death. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. Tallahassee, Florida. Police in North Florida arrested a woman accused of repeatedly beating a three-year-old boy with a tire iron before he died. Tallahassee police said 23-year-old Talia Jefferson is charged with murder and aggravated battery for the toddler's death. Jefferson brought the unresponsive boy to the emergency room at Tallahassee Memorial Hospital, 6.58 p.m., with severe trauma to his head and face. The toddler had a body temperature of 88 degrees when he arrived at the ER. He was pronounced dead six minutes later by hospital staff. Um, Jefferson told responding officers that the little boy was standing on the sink while brushing his teeth when he fell. She claimed he struck his head on the toilet and broken pieces of porcelain caused cuts on the boy's body. But the arrest affidavits, affidavit said the toddler's injuries were not consistent with a fall, noting he had severe cuts on his face and hands along with bruises on his arms and legs. There were also indications of older injuries on his torso and shoulder, after police said her timeline of the events didn't add up, Jefferson reportedly admitted she attacked the boy because he wouldn't stop standing on the sink. The hyper-disciplining of black boys, right? Yeah, these... Uh, these reports break my heart, but I... I, I especially... When they happen to boys in a way that we want to ignore as if it doesn't, 
the animosity, and you'll see this later on in, in, in the show, the animosity directed at black men and boys from within our community can be very much the same animosity that we've seen coming from uh, the larger institutions and the white community itself, right? So this is why I think it was Dr. Patton who said a moment ago, these white supremacists rewashed, remixed white supremacist ideas are still very much in play in our own community. Shout out to January, man. Appreciate the support, right? So that hurt my heart. Prosecutors uh, say Milwaukee woman drugged 10 men Stole over 85,000 in ongoing River North scheme. All right? It's that Cardi B action, right? They released new details about an undercover CPD and U.S. Marshals operation that resulted in the arrest of two women who were allegedly drugged, who allegedly drugged and robbed a nightclub employee in River North early Sunday. One of the women has been involved in at least 10 similar drug-induced robberies in Chicago, Prosecutor said the, uh, the other has allegedly been connected to four of those cases. The state alleged that at least 85,000 in proceeds have been collected from victims by stealing phones and jewelry and using stolen credit cards at retail stores in the Milwaukee area. Now, I posted this on my Facebook page and I noticed it, it was shared by black women who were celebrating this as some kind of accomplishment, right? Chief Rocker, appreciate that support, sir. Um, so, Tiana Trammell, 25, and Shawana Rainey, 32, appeared in separate bond hearings Tuesday afternoon to face charges of operating a continuing, uh, operating a continuing financial crime enterprise and possession of controlled substance. Assistant State Attorney Paul Kiefer said the women ran a fairly simple scheme that targeted men in nightlife areas. While each crime's specifics varied, the women offered each victim alcohol laced with a knockout drug that rendered the men unconscious almost immediately. Some of the victims regained consciousness while lying on the side of roads. Others awakened inside their own homes while one was found at the Lake Forest Oasis off Interstate 94. Marvin, appreciate that support. Yeah, this is crazy. But, you know, I want people to really consider... You know, the things that are going on that are, that are going to exacerbate these kind of incidents. Because not everybody can make half a million dollars on OnlyFans. So trust when I tell you these kind of cases are going to increase, the worse the economy continues to get. Black man in Louisiana sentenced to life in prison for stealing hedge clippers is out on parole. Right? Um... After having served nearly 24 years in prison for stealing a pair of hedge clippers, you're going to see another case like this. Uh, Fair, Wayne, uh, Fair Wayne Bryant, 63 years old, serving a life sentence for stealing a pair of hedge cl clippers from a private carport in 1997. During the incident, he was chased away by the homeowner. Louisiana ACLU called his release a long overdue victory and called for the repeal of the state's habitual offender law, which says a person who is convicted of more than one felony will receive longer sentences for each new conviction. Chief Justice of the state Supreme Court said the habitual offender laws were a, moderate, a modern manifestation of laws passed during Reconstruction that were designed to re-enslave African-Americans. That's actually from the Chief Justice of the state Supreme Court. Nevertheless, this man spent 24 years in prison now this one is a little different 
Um, I'm not, I'm not gonna play the whole thing. This is actually a commercial, right? I think it's a shea butter commercial, actually. But um, one of the things I noticed about it is it coincided with something that I was saying before um, about uh, the kind of uh, support systems put forward to black women. Now, because of my current system, I can't play it in a manner um, that uh, my inner light radio uh, people can hear. So I'm working on that. But um, and, and it's recorded poorly. I do want to say I did it on my phone. Uh, sitting in my living room and I just wanted to get the shot up and I posted it on Facebook But uh, really, you know, it was a shea butter commercial and it talked explicitly about uh, its work in advancing black women entrepreneurs I also ran across another one that dealt with a, an ice cream service that was, you know Created by a black woman and her husband and it too talked about again advancing advancing black women entrepreneurs There are about three that I ran into within 24 hours again all focusing on black women entrepreneurs as if black male entrepreneurs do not exist. And I issued this challenge, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, if I'm not mistaken, or at least a month and a half, where I said, how many of you have even run across uh, small business programs, anything of that nature that actually targets black men? Like there are programs that support, that, that offer support on the basis of race, on the basis of gender, and then there are specific ones that target black women still haven't run across any COVID era based programs designed to help small black business or black male entrepreneurs. Right. Right. So green machine says one from target two. Um, yeah, it, it's just not many. So again, I apologize for the quality of the image. It was just a quick video. As soon as I turned it on, I saw it, I grabbed my phone and just kind of recorded it best I could. It was one of the things that kind of, that kind of hit me. I was like, you know, consistently I'm seeing more and more of it you know very little of it actually directed toward uh, black men right let's see next up RNC chair uses MLK quote to reveal why he's voting for Biden this is Michael Steele right? former chair of the Republican National Committee spelled ex out exactly why he's turning his back on GOP and voting Democratic uh, for Biden the 2020 election uh he says in this election is uh is on oh, wait a minute there we go on many issues excuse me Steele acknowledged that he disagrees with biden on many issues and policies sometimes vigorously but his election is not but this election is not about those issues or policies he wrote rather it is about the course of a nation and the character of her people reflected in the leader they chose i'm asking my fellow americans to consider what is in your best interests and not trump's Steele who has been a fierce critic of Trump throughout his administration, accused the president of exacerbating division, seeking the favor of dictators, and embracing outdated economic principles. Interesting. Okay. Um, not sure how... Steele has been all over the place for years, but that is an interesting statement in and of itself. So if you're interested in looking at more of that and more of his rationale, check out HuffingtonPost.com. Look at... Uh, Look for XRNC chair uses ML, ML, MLA, MLK quote. Now this one has been in the news for a little minute, right? Um, at least the last couple of days, most assuredly. And this is actually an exchange that Cardi B has with a fan. Right? Plenty of people have already talked about it, so I'm not going to spend a great deal of time here. 
But if you haven't heard, it is an interesting admission in and of itself, right? This is Cardi B in response. So one of her fans starts out by pointing out how her husband, Cardi B's husband, Offset, is an abuser and qualifies him as a textbook emotional abuser, right? And Cardi B says abusive. Girl, I'm the one that do the hitting and the shit talking. I'm just a crazy bitch. One day I want to smack a nigga and leave the next week. I want to ride his face and get the cum rag. You be trying to analyze too much. We are just simply dysfunctional. Now, this is something that I found interesting because, again, I've said this for the last couple of years. I've met scholars that make the argument that black men or men in general cannot be abused in terms of intimate partner violence. I've seen scholars promote works that suggest that 100%, 99% of abuses are male-based. And this goes back to the Duluth model um, and this argument that all abuse, uh, particularly if it comes from women, is still a response to patriarchy. And thus, the man in the equation is inherently the one who is the aggressor, even when it appears like he's the victim. So here you have Cardi B admitting to it. And she's admitted in the past, mind to my understanding, um, that she has drugged and taken advantage of men when she worked as a stripper. And yet, I can't imagine uh, a male who can say these things publicly and not end up in prison. And yet somehow, she can constantly make these kind of statements and it's okay, right? Abuse is okay, because again, if it's from women, we don't take it seriously. What you guys are seeing in the, some of the, uh, the articles I'm sharing with you, this can take your life. This is, this is not lightweight, and yet... But what gets even more interesting is even after admitting to being the aggressor herself, the immediate res response was that she was manipulated into thinking she's the crazy one. So in other words... She had women coming forward to first tell her she was abused and after denying such and, and claiming to be the aggressor herself, she was then said, well, you were just manipulated into thinking you were crazy. So no kind of accountability anywhere near, um, you know, anywhere near the vicinity It is what it is, but this is what we deal with. This is what individual men deal with. This is what. Uh, with, with those of us who research intimate partner violence and try to make a case, because especially in the black community, we know that abuse is bi-directional. It's almost equal going from women to men and men to women. And yet people have you believe that, you know, it's all women that serve as victims. And to the extent that males serve as victims, it's really not victimhood. It's women who are operating in self-defense, which Gigi and uh, one of his shows over a couple, I think a couple months ago, uh, proved uh, with the documentation of various reports he presented was false. And we know that in many instances, abuse is initiated by women and women actually use more weapons. So then men tend to use their own hands. So that said, um, the difference between the two uh, at this point, publicly speaking, seems to be one more of accountability. And it doesn't seem to be a form of accountability that many women want to take, mainly because they've not been socialized to. They've been socialized, especially from the 1980s onward, to believe that abuse was was the sole purview of women and that you know to even mention male victims in and of itself is an offense and a deflection from the truth of their uh, ongoing status as victims so uh, middle mars appreciate that support all right next up atlantablackstar.com data shows 37,000 black voters in north carolina 
left their political party to identify as unaffiliated. Real talk, right? Recent data from North Carolina's Board of Elections found thousands of black residents have switched their political party to unaffiliated. Overall, 123,000 North Carolinians have registered as unaffiliated since 2016. About 37,000 of those voters are black. Unaffiliated voters, also known as independents, do not consider themselves member of a specific political party. I love it because I don't have to vote straight Republican or straight Democrat, and I can just get a feel for each candidate. Right. So I've since registered as an independent years ago. I traditionally tend to vote green, but at the end of the day, um, something Farrakhan actually said back in the 1980s, he made the argument that black people have to actually get to the point where they're no longer wed to any particular party, but can make arrangements based on specific issues with whomever is willing to step forward and follow through on it. So um, what we're seeing is that Cube is not alone, right? Not necessarily identifying as a Republican or a conservative, but making groups work for our votes. And we see that seem to see that this is starting to happen. Black Guru Strikes, good to see you in here. This article interesting. It says Twitter suspends fake accounts posing as black Trump supporters. Now, I didn't post this because, you know, of, of anything to do with black Trump supporters. I posted this or I'm talking about it because it has to do with uh, this use of fake accounts, period. I'm not limiting it to whether or not people are black Trump supporters. That, no, I'm looking at the way in which these accounts can be used to promote misandry, particularly in, against black men, right? And I talked about different levels of it. I talked about it in terms of you know actual agents. I talked about it in terms of actual bots, you know, the systems. Uh, programs used, but then I also talked about it in terms of what I call agentless agents. And that re basically refers to the last few decades of socializing black women and black men, and in particular, socializing women to fundamentally accept and internalize the idea that they are better than their men. So as the men find themselves dealing with hurdles that their women don't have to endure, the Life output, the quality of life difference in many situations promotes the idea of, of black female superiority intra-racially within the community. That said, when you factor in fake accounts and social media, when you factor in the existence of that, one has to ask to what extent are these accounts used to exacerbate differences between men and women that make it out to be much worse. Now. I think there are various levels of this. I don't think it's limited to bots by any means. Many of the posts that I've seen are coming from people, real people that I know. But again, how have they been socialized over the last few decades? Makes perfect sense to me when you look at it from that vantage point. Um, let me see. All right. Dark Knight mentality, appreciate you coming through. Uh, yeah, definitely watch the, the comments in here, fellas. I appreciate my wrench mob. Uh, for watching out people like to come in and act crazy for no particular reason anyway <clears throat> this particular um, article talks about the number of fake accounts claiming to be black people supporting Trump for uh, breaching the platform's ban on manipulating the site and spreading spam while the company is investigating who is behind the accounts three weeks out of out of election day coming out of Washington Post uh, the accounts are identified for using uniform language in tweets that include things like, yes, I'm black and I'm voting for Trump. Some of the accounts employ digital blackface. Ain't that some shit. 
we got digital black blackface. According to Darren Linville, an associate professor at Clemson University, meaning they falsely represent themselves by using photos of real black people likely sourced from across the internet. Washington Post first reported that Twitter is investigating the accounts and their source and could suspend other such fake accounts. Twitter said in a statement, our teams are working diligently to investigate this activity and will take action, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Linville says the accounts of which he found more than 24 had been retweeted or mentioned more than 265,000 times. Now, they're bringing this up specifically to talk about Trump. I don't think this has much, I don't think this is limited to Trump by any stretch of the imagination. I think this is much bigger than that. Much bigger. And goes way beyond that. Right? Dark power. Appreciate that support. Okay, y'all. Some of these, man. I. This is uh, Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors, right? Signs overall deal with Warner Brothers, television group. Some of you may have seen this a little early, earlier. Um, co-founder of BLM, sign overall deal with Warner Brothers Television Group, characterizes a multi-year wide-ranging, uh, the pact will see colors develop and produce original programming across all platforms, including broadcast cable and streaming. Colors agreement encompasses scripted and unscripted series, long-form series, animated, and kids programming, as well as digital content. So mind you, so this is coming from one of the co-founders of an organization that talked about Right, reframing the family and somehow in a manner that was absent heterosexual black men, right? Fixating on women and LGBT. Somehow black men seem to disappear. So now she has unprecedented access to media exposure. So I asked the question earlier, do we see this happening with black men in terms of opportunity for small business support or the advancement of their business, even if it isn't small or even if it's pre-COVID? Nothing. But now we're actually not only seeing a number of programs designed to specify black women, but now we're seeing this kind of dynamic being pushed. All right. This is what we're talking about. Colors Agreement encompasses, uh, you know, all these different types of series I mentioned together. WBTVG and Colors will look to amplify the work of BLM, which Colors started alongside Alicia Garza and Opal Tometi back in 2013 and create more opportunities for prominent black storytelling Precise terms for the deal have not been disclosed. So y'all can look forward to more Lovecraft Country style programming. Where I will just briefly say, well, I ain't gonna ruin it. So next week we'll get into Lovecraft. As I said, I have GG here, I have BGS here. We will delve into the symbolism of uh, what we've been seeing. But nonetheless, we can expect more of the like from people like Colors and more absence when it comes to black men. Next up, more than 6 million households missed their rent or mortgage payment in September. I'm telling you this shit is on, y'all. It's already been happening. Persistent layoffs are slowly are, are slowing momentum in the labor market, which bodes poorly for the broader US recovery as millions of out-of-work Americans delay their mortgage and rent, rent payments. More than 6 million households failed to make their rent or mortgage, mortgage in September. According to Mortgage Bankers Association Research Institute for Housing in America, a sign that the economic fallout from the coronavirus pandemic is weighing on jobless Americans as Congress stalls on relief measures. Um, in the third quarter, the percent of homeowners and renters behind on payments fell slightly from the prior quarter. Still, the overall amount remains high. All right. 758 people watching. Please like, share, and subscribe. I think I've been shadow banned 
to some extent uh, I've been losing subscribers I've had subscribers contact me and say they've been bumped from my channel uh, and don't know why um, and they missed several weeks of shows and my numbers went down so something's going on so please make sure you like share and subscribe and become members uh, to support the show because I don't know what YouTube is doing but as I was saying earlier, as far as what we're seeing, the crazy craziness of the crimes we're seeing, the tensions that it's ramping up, domestic abuse of children most particularly, I think a lot of this stuff is colliding in some very dangerous ways. So um, please make sure you take care of you and yours and watch your back, all right? A little bit of good news. If you are a geek like myself, Michael B. Jordan to produce Static Shock movie for DC Comics. After weeks of speculation, Warner Brothers is definitely working on a Static Shock flick, and the studio has some serious help in developing the project. Announced Friday afternoon, Black Panther star Michael B. Jordan is set to produce the feature alongside longtime scribe Reginald Hudlin. Looking forward to that. All right. Just had to put a little bit of something in there for y'all as we kind of climb through these. Only a few more. Um... This image sent to me on Facebook, right? I think it speaks for itself, but for those on my online radio show, just to let you know, it is a series of pictures of a mother and her son, very explicitly framed, right? And very inappropriate. At the end of the day, um, she is much more treating him like her man more so than her son. And I talked about this on Facebook, right, as what I call the rise of the son husband. And I shouldn't say rise because it ain't like it's gone anywhere, right? But when you start to factor in the absence of uh, black men and the structural absence that uh, the state kind of promotes through policy that we are trying to refute with the black male political agenda, you can see a dynamic where too much, too much is placed in the hands of women that aren't being checked by very much. So I talk about the son husband as a feature of the black family since the state sanctioned and socially incentivized um, uh, families to preserve, uh, excuse me. I said the son husband has been a feature of the black family since the state sanctioned and socially incentivized families to perceive fathers as disposable, right? On another note, tell me again how rare sexual victimization is for boys. Right, You can't imagine seeing a 35-year-old father doing this mess with his daughter and not going to jail. But I've actually seen these in the last year. I have videos that were posted on Twitter and Facebook of mothers, you know, twerking with their, their sons, you know, right, standing at their behind. I mean, I've, I, I can't tell you how many of these I've seen, you know, sons with their hands in inappropriate places in between their mother's legs, all kinds of craziness. But for some reason, this is considered cute. This is absolutely ridiculous. And yet, it happens. Babysitter pleads and twin toddler's desk gets four years of probation, right? Former Knox County babysitter pled uh, guilty to two counts of criminally negligent homicide uh, in 2018. So this woman was basically watching two kids and they drowned in a pool on the deep end. This is a 37-year-old woman. Um, and uh, in response to that, you know, she remained on the state's severe abuse registry. Uh, but at the end of the day, the deaths, you know, just put her in a position where she's on probation. Mm -hmm. 
And the question is to what extent she played a hand in their deaths. But I just raised the question when I post things like this, right? Um, what would happen if this was a man? What would happen if this was a black man at that, right? Sally entered her plea before Knox County criminal court judge, Stephen so Steve Sword. Um, she said that toddlers, Elijah and Elisa and Elisa or Hula, almost two years old, ended up uh, in the deep end of the swimming pool, the Sally's rental home. Um, and she was supposed to be looking after them, but she discovered them dead. Alyssa drowned. Her brother was pronounced dead two days later at East Tennessee Children's Hospital. But she's on probation. So. But if you have any questions about whether or not black men would be treated the same way or similar, this case has nothing to do with that, but you, it just gives you a sense of tone, right? So this here is uh, one Albert Kennard, Alvin Kennard. He stole $50 in cash from a bakery in Alabama. He was 22 at the time. And in 2019, he was released and given time served. He's now 58 years old. He did 36 hard years for stealing $50.75 in cash. Nobody was hurt. So between that, stealing clippers, you see the kind of punishments black men get. It's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Last piece. Some of you saw this on the Dead Ass Show, I think it's called. And it was a marital couple, right, having a debate and a discussion about the lack of sex in their marriage. And this is the husband here talking in particular about uh, why he doesn't understand getting married and then being denied sex when expectations of monogamy are um, quite intense on behalf of women. Now, this has been dealt with by a number of other people. Most recently, Kevin Samuels dealt with it uh, yesterday in his show. So I wasn't going to add anything to this, except that in the black male political agenda, one of the things we talked about was the denial of sex to husband is a form of emotional abuse and should be grounds for black men to be able to have less punitive forms of annulment or divorce. Right? Nobody gets married, or at least, uh, you know, most for the most part, gets married to be celibate. And yet, I can't tell you how many men I've met running into this situation. I myself have dealt with this. You know, I have a, I have a very close friend of mine who's dealing with this now, after decades of marriage. He can count on one hand how many times he has sex in a given year. Yet, if he were even remotely texts a woman, he's in trouble. And there are weeks of arguments that happen. So these kind of dynamics happen to men all the time. And much of the time you'll find men going through years, not just weeks or days, years of, um, you know, uh, being left alone by their spouse. Right. I heard it placed. I heard it stated in a movie really well. Uh, it, it, one husband in a movie who was dealing with that, he said, it feels like I'm, I'm running a small daycare with a with a perfect stranger. He said, that's what my house feels like. You know, there's no intimacy between he and his wife, so on and so forth. So one of the things we're calling for in the black male political agenda is grounds for black men to be able to annul or divorce their wives in such situations without having to lead to the same types of punitive, punitive judgments that we've seen black men endure. All right. 751 watching. Please like, share and subscribe. Um, thank you for uh, supporting the show, especially for those that have already done so. And we're going to deal with it. All right.
So Ice Cube versus the world. That's really what I should call this too. Ice Cube versus the world. This is what we're looking at. All right. Some of the things Cube has been dealing with lately. Cube, also known as O'Shea Jackson, talks about on the left, uh, in the tweet that I have posted, so there's a lot of energy being spent on telling me to stay in my lane. Zero energy spent on telling Biden and Harris that they need to do way more for black folk to shore up the vote. Right? And this is interesting. This is interesting. This is the kind of blowback that I really didn't expect uh, to come at Cube. And he talks about, um, you know, being called a sellout in response to this, right? The article, the, 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 the argument that he's somehow always been a secret Trump supporter and how, you know, and this is weird. I've heard that, that he's a secret Trump supporter. I've heard uh, that he has bought into the system, that he, you know, he, he really believes uh, in politicians. He believes in, in the Republican Party. You know, all these kinds of arguments come out that he's a sellout. And one of the things I would say to that is, I think y'all have forgotten who this man is. Now, I definitely make the argument that people grow over time. 18-year-old O'Shea Jackson is not, you know, the same man as the one that is, that's functioning right now. But yet and still, despite that, this idea that because he has engaged in a political discussion on behalf of black America, but didn't get the um, blue check support from key individuals or groups, that somehow what he's doing is inherently anti and negative. And, and as I'm sure most of you know, basically what Cube has argued, and I gotta give him props, I gotta give him props in maintaining his poise. He's done really well in the face of some, of some pure vitriol, right? But in the midst of all of this, he's maintained the most consistent story. He said, look, I put this out. It's been out for months, been developing it, working with people like, you know, Professor Dark Hamilton. Shout out to, to Dr. Hamilton. How you doing, sir? Right? Put in the work with a variety of people, got consultation from a variety of different groups. He said, I, you know, both parties approached me, said they were interested. Democratic Party said, we'll holler at you after the election. Trump said, let's sit down now. Sent his representatives. Uh, Cube has not met Trump. They have not sit and sat down to eat together, any of that. Um, and this is something that, in Kalanja Kala, you're right, man. This is something that goes back to Dr. Ronald Neal, you know, where he talks about black male independence. This is something we've seen from individual black males who are technically considered not supposed to be speaking on behalf of black folk in political environments, right? Killer Mike did something similar not too long ago, meeting with a Republican representative, I think it was a governor, uh, not long ago. But this idea that they're not supposed to be, and why? Because they've not been properly authorized. They have not been given the proper talking points. In other words, they have not been inducted into the ranks of being foot soldiers for the gynocracy. Right? Therefore, anything they say must inherently be sexist, oppressive, and exclusionary without even reading it. And this, is, this has been consistent. And I'm, I mean, I'm telling you, I have people, I have feminists that would debate and tell me left and right how much they hate my platform. And when I ask them, have you read what I wrote? Did you at least watch the video? No, I saw the title. Yeah, the title. That was enough, right? You can just divine what black men are thinking and saying without actually having to pay attention because, again, that superiority complex I talked about, socialized idea that your men are concubine serfs. They only exist to provide sperm, right? To provide protection. 
and at the end of the day to serve you that is the only existence per the only purpose for existence so look this is the thing i think people done forgot who they talking about i think we forgot who cube was see here's the thing cube has been an activist this ain't new this ain't new for cube it's been happening he just didn't run in circles that were officially deemed activist circles so there's a kind of arrogance that goes on about who gets to be considered an activist and who doesn't. See, we've kind of forgotten about that. We've kind of forgotten about that. Right? O'Shea, um, now so you're talking about a black man who's married to a black woman, has several black children, at least one of whom is consistently in his films and has his own career that he's building on. Cube has been making black media for years, right? Inroads in the film, uh, still doing music, all of that. And yet, we forgot. And I'll go even a step further. I think kind of what's been happening too lately is not only is this 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 anti-black misandry being directed at Cube and Cube becoming a representative for all black men and somehow this anger and rage at black men who are going to upset the election by voting for Trump, even though statistically speaking, the fact that we vote over 85% Democrat in the last key major elections goes unnoticed and unacknowledged, not only by many black women, but in, but also by the Democrat party, right? Who is primarily focused on black women in regard to the black community. And somehow, so Q becomes this kind of symbol for the vitriol that's directed at black men. And again, I'm not even hear people, hearing people talk about Cube's plan, which we're gonna go through in a minute, right? I just hear people talking about the fact that he must be a Trump supporter, ergo, all black men are, ergo, they all must be dismissed and attacked, right? Even, and I, you know, when, when we look at even the way Cube talks, the way he dresses, all of that kind of stuff, none of it is conventional for a political talking head. But you can kind of see in certain, in certain interviews the, the assumption made about him and black men again as an extension of him right and and so in many instances some of the interviews i've seen he's been talked to like he's stupid like he doesn't know what's going on and and, and again that black men don't know what's going on right but i will give him credit for being unfazed right he has not backed down he's not let anybody punk him and I've, I've managed to, I've, I've watching interview after interview, I've been impressed with how well he stayed the course in terms of dealing with sometimes some just pure outright fuckery, to be honest with you. Absolutely ridiculous treatment. But that treatment was not technically meant to just be limited to Cube. A lot of that treatment was directed at black men as a whole. Right? Cube has become a, a symbol of black masculinity and there therefore any vitriol directed at him is justifiably somehow extended to black men despite our voting patterns and we have we have some really problematic ways of dealing with some of these things and i think a lot of the time we've developed this kind of idea we, we have a magical thinking kind of problem internal to the black community in many ways we have this magical thinking kind of dynamic going on that somehow as, as long as we only do certain things, everything's going to be great. If we vote Democrat, everything's going to be great. Um, you know, if, if, if you, I mean, I, I can't. It's magical thinking with no framework, no justification, no rationale. Dr. Neal, appreciate that support. Right. 
Um, absolutely, man. It, 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 the need for black male independence, thriller, appreciate that support, sir, uh, is, is that much more uh, intense and necessary. But we get, we kind of have this kind of magical Christian, it's, it's almost like a Christian kind of framework we, where we kind of personify one idea you know, almost in a Christ-like fashion, that's supposed to be the solution to all our problems. And if you deviate from it in the slightest, then, then you've committed uh, just an incredible fallacy of some sort, right? And it makes no sense where we get the, how we maintain this thinking and, and we'll attack each other, you know, over it, you know, left and right. Well, what do I mean? Well, here, one of the attackers that has, has, has reared her head once again, and she comes out on a regular basis um, to attack black men on a regular basis. Um, you guys may see her on Twitter quite a bit. It's one Dr. Brittany Cooper. Now I know Brittany. We, we, I met her at a conference. We have never really agreed. And, and as we both advanced into our particular work, that disagreement has only extended further and further. But she came out very recently and she made some statements alluding to after responding to Cube and somehow suggesting that uh, he, you know, of course, is a Trumpite, that black women should uh, be compelled to withhold sex from their partners. She says she didn't say that outright, but clearly it was an implication along those lines. Right. So I want to shout out. The brother who's a professor at C. Uh, uh, CSF, I think it is, um, artist formerly known as Hate Reason, right? He makes an interesting statement. He kind of, he challenges, he doesn't kind of, he challenges Brittany Cooper's claim about this idea of black women withholding sex uh, and whether or not it's actually happening. He says, Brittany Cooper's claim, black women went on sex strikes to compel black men to vote Republican during Reconstruction. Um... And he kind of identifies what was actually written. There's a number of, of tweets, and I have, and I'm, I'm not going to post them all up. They're a little too hard uh, for people to see. But talks about, you know, at the end of the day, that this never actually occurred. And this is something that Dr. Tommy Curry also broke down on his Facebook page and, was a, and, and generated an incredible discussion with a number of different scholars that pointed out that the citation she was referring to did not actually point out that that had happened. There were politicians that urged that. There was one woman that mentioned it, but there was never a mass sex strike on behalf of, of, of motivating and, and black men and, and shaping their thinking along some kind of lines, which in and of itself suggests that we're nothing but animals, right? That, that, that at the end of the day, as long as you, um, you know, control their access to sex, they'll do whatever you take, you know, like mules, you know? Which is an interesting term in and of itself, because feminists have argued uh, since um, really uh, the first third of the 20th century that black women were actually the closest thing to mules, but in the, especially within the black community. But actually, I would argue it's black men. Uh, still, you even have Dr. Stacey Patton chiming in yet, yet again. Um, she says, actually on Twitter, she says, Brittany Cooper is, Cooper is the same professor who once accused me of writing a viral transphobic piece that was actually written by a white woman. When I called her out, she didn't bother to correct herself and apologize. I told her that it was egregious for a tenured professor who writes publicly to make this kind of error. I was dragged for weeks because folks don't bother to read and verify. 
And she talks about giving a talk months later where somebody stood up, a grad student stood up, stood up in the audience after her talk and asked her how she could write such a thing. And she actually had the grad student pull up the article in front of everybody to see that her name was not on it. So at the end of the day, you know, what we see with Dr. Cooper's work, and she did this a couple months ago too. I think I, think I talked about it then. Um, she was the one talking about um, how we weren't dealing enough with the proper deaths. Right? We weren't referring to the right deaths uh, in regard to who's been dying in the black community. You know, she wanted us to talk only about certain people. Let me see if I can, I wonder if I can, eh. I don't know if I'm going to find it in time. Um, but she had put that out on Twitter too. And then she actually, I want to say she also uh, wrote an article, was it in Time? Brianna Taylor... Where's the, see if I can find the Brittany Cooper uh, text about it. So she talked about how somehow black men in particular, but people in general, but it was somehow uh, black men that initiated a lot of this because we die too often and we did not in any way allow for Brianna Taylor to be acknowledged enough. Um, and so because of that, it looks like she might have either she took it down or Google is not working with me. Okay. But the idea basically was that we were taking too much energy away from the death of Breonna Taylor, uh, most particularly George Floyd, right? And then she ended up writing a piece in time.com. Um, I think this is it here. Why are black women and girls still an afterthought in our outrage over violence? Let me see. Is this her? Yes, it is. So let me share that real quick. All right. So this is the piece here on time.com. Now, again, shout out to Stacey Patton. Dr. Patton actually responded at that time. And she said, look, there've been three days of uprisings in Brianna's, you know, in support of, of Brianna Taylor at the time that this piece was that actually before this piece at the time that uh, Cooper was writing these tweets, right? Suggesting that black men, um, their, you know, their deaths were taken. And this is something that feminists have been arguing, right? Feminists have been making this argument that somehow, uh, because black male deaths take up so much energy, black men are privileged. In other words, we're privileged in that our, our deaths are acknowledged, especially when initiated by police or vigilante violence. And we know in terms of police violence, it's about two to two, 300 deaths per year, about nine to 13 deaths for black women, but somehow we're privileged in our acknowledgements. And, and sometimes I've even heard them make the argument that because, well, because you can, you can mention several black men who've died in the last five years, this is a statement of privilege. Okay. The other rationale could be that it's simply an acknowledgement because so many more do die and die on camera, which is the other damn thing we ignore. Black men are being killed on camera, and even that argument is being dismissed as an example of, of, of sexism. And I'm like, in an era where we have cameras in our pockets, where we can watch black men be killed over an eight or nine minute time period, be choked to death, dying in front of us, to pay any attention to that is an extension of black male privilege. This is bullshit. Absolute bullshit. 
what this is actually doing is it's a it's a com it's a competition for resources and attention. But here's the thing: it's not a competition black men are engaged in. It's a camp it's a competition that a certain select cadre of black feminists are engaged in because they're looking to advance themselves. And they generally do use the deaths of black men to do it, mainly because there are not enough black women dying in a manner that will generate the kind of attention they're interested in. So they use black male deaths to push that agenda. But at the same time, when they finally do have a black woman that's killed, will turn around and accuse black men of being sexist. Why? Because they die. This is the kind of thinking that we're talking about here. This is the kind of bullshit that we're dealing with. And when black men respond with frustration about how their deaths can be used in this fashion, they're further called sexist yet again, or misogynist. This is ridiculous. But this is where we've gotten to in 2020. We've gotten to this place where somehow this is a justifiable argument. And it makes no damn sense. Black male deaths are not the political football for anybody. And especially if it was gonna be, it would at least need to be for black men, and yet that's not happening. But that was the vitriol that was brought back to Ice Cube. Um, well, just before I leave this particular section, let me just quickly say here, if you look at the top, um, the artist formerly known as Hate Reason says, therefore, um, there is still no evidence substantiating Professor Crunk's uh, claim. Is it possible some women abstain from sex to coerce their men's votes? Sure, but to assert this, as verified fact based on these sources would be beneath the dignity of any historian. Right. And yet this is somehow acceptable for a lot of people. Now, I'm not going to play video from these two things, mainly because I'm really not interested in throwing up today. I'm just not. Like... You can go watch it yourself if you so choose, but uh, here you have a video on Roland Martin's show, Roland Martin Unfiltered, where you have uh, Alicia Garza, a Black Lives Matter fame, um, in debate with Ice Cube, right? And one of the things she talks about is really this kind of, or, or exhibits, I should say, is an indignance toward Cube. And I think at one point refers to herself as a real activist, right? So there's a subtle, some along those lines, right? There was a subtle kind of statement to Cube that, um, you know, he's new to this work. But here's the thing, and I've been saying this for the longest, black men's activism may present differently, mainly because we live different types of lives. It, when you talk about protest, the contemporary idea of protest is actually fairly old. It's about 50, 70, 50 to 70 years old. Right? We have this idea of protesting and holding signs and shutting down businesses and maybe walking into traffic. But, and I've said this before, but when black men engage in those kind of actions, right, it usually doesn't end with the same results. What do I mean? I had an associate who's a member of Black Lives Matter, and she would call me and tell me things like, well, yeah, we're gonna protest at such and such tonight, and uh, I'm gonna get arrested, and then um, later in the evening, I think I'm gonna make the kids spaghetti, and then I'm gonna go do this, and then I gotta do this, and oh God, tomorrow I gotta go to a meeting, and I'd be sitting there going, you're gonna get arrested. Okay, interesting. But when black men get arrested, I, I've never heard black men talk about getting arrested and then being home in time to cook dinner. Never. Hell, one protest I was at, I had a warrant for a traffic violation or something that I forgot about. And I thought about what would happen if I got arrested right now? 
Right? I've read I've read cases of black men who've gotten rest, arrested on arbitrary charges, sometimes even going in for the weekend to serve for traffic violations. You know, you used to be able to do that going on. I don't know if they're still doing it, but serve a couple of days to, you know, kind of pay off, you know, traffic violation debts or whatever, and then end up staying in a month because they may have had to defend themselves in a physical confrontation that extended their time. By the time they've gotten out, they've lost apartments, they've lost jobs all over arbitrary charges, right? So black men's protests may present differently than others because we live a different quality of life, right? This is what I call the black male dual economy, right? Somebody recently told me I should do some short video, pre-recorded videos to exam to break down some of the concepts I do. And I, I, I have no problem doing that, maybe I will. But the black male dual economy suggests that we not only live under a different econo e e economic structure in terms of material economics, but even just the quality of life even in terms of our dynamics with the social institutions of the day, we are treated differently. There's a different set of expectations put upon us with a different set of results. Life-threatening results, but life-altering results that don't necessarily have to be lethal, but life-altering nonetheless, right? You're driving to a job interview, particularly in this economy, and you're pulled over and you're late. If you don't get arrested, it may not be a lethal encounter, Right. But it may stymie your own advancement, advancement that may have benefited your family. And the only reason you may have been pulled over is because you were a black male. Right. It's instances like that that can have life altering consequences, even if they're not lethal. Right. So this is what we're talking about. So going back to, you know, Alicia Garza and her exchange with Q, she kind of talks to him uh, in a very condescending fashion as if. She is the real activist and he's posing. But again, I played his music for a reason. Q may not be a, a, a BLM activist, but that doesn't mean he hasn't been an activist. And he's been such for years. He's not new to activism. He may not be, he may not be a street activist, but that, doesn't, that presupposes that there's only one type of acceptable activism. And black men cannot afford to operate with this agenda that there's only one type of acceptable act activism. We have had to be creative in our activism. I don't care if you're talking about coaching kids, Little League, I don't care if you're talking about uh, YouTube, whatever form black men have had to engage in their own activism, it's time to call it what the hell it is, fellas. And do not let people like Garza tell you what activism is and isn't, knowing full well she does not experience the repercussions that a black man in her position would likely experience. Which is why, in many ways, it's not to say black men don't engage in it, black men do. But what's the fallout? Well, all right, let's talk about Ferguson. How many black male activists ended up torched to death in their cars in Ferguson? How many of them do we even talk about? Seen a lot of black women killed that way? Is there a reason? Could it be that black men actually do live in an entirely different cultural context, a, a, an entirely different uh, economy? And that economy, again, is not limited to material wealth. It, it, it can also be in terms of uh, social equity. It can be in terms of um, you know, for the various types of social currency. But the, the central idea is that they live a different reality has a different set of rules and a different set of expectations and a different set of repercussions. Garza doesn't recognize those kind of things. So as she sits here with her little blonde hair and fire truck lipstick looking down at Cube, 
I can go back 30 years and think about the ways Cube has influenced thought, even amongst black men. Man, he was playing music. Look, Cube was the middle point between Public Enemy and the average brother on the street who wasn't thinking politically, who wasn't thinking... It, it, Public Enemy had a high, a fairly high level. Chuck was 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 high level. Cube, I think, was the 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 middle point, and he was talking to a uh, you know a different subset of brothers. I mean, Cube coming out of NWA was really talking about galvanizing a level of black political activism amongst brothers who are not normally associated with political activism. Now, that isn't to say that they haven't been. We can go back to the 1960s and we can show how Street Brothers have been involved in all kinds of different things that we just don't call activism. But Cube, I think, made it a point to talk to those brothers. Because at that time, he could have just kept making what, what, what we call gangster music and left it at that. But he took the time to actually talk about political issues, to actually talk about protecting their women, to actually talk about different kinds of ideas, the experiences of everyday brothers who couldn't eat, couldn't feed their families, engaged in drug dealing as a last resort. Those subjects were, I'm not gonna say those subjects alone were rare, because some brothers did it, but the way Cube did it was fairly independent, right? We didn't see, that wasn't an everyday thing, especially the way he went about it, right? So this was one of those kind of condescending talks, as was this one. If you watch the Cocktails with Queens, Right. Again, if you want to subject yourself to that video, have at it. Interesting about thing about this one, and this is an alignment with some of the other ones that took place, some of the random discussions that took place, is one of the very first accusations I saw leveled at Cube was that he left out black women and LGBTs. And Cube actually responded to this very directly in the discussion with them. He said, no, I didn't leave you out. He said, I talked about the black community. You're a member of the black community. And they dismissed that, right? Because again, the, the, the underlying idea is that if you don't focus on black women explicitly, you are somehow, right? You are somehow engaging in something that is inherently oppressive, misogynistic, and sexist. I'm a black male studies scholar. There was a number of things Cube didn't put in there about black men. Matter of fact, Cube didn't mention gender. He very well could have focused on black men. He didn't. He focused on the black community. Black male political agenda, I'm going to show you. I show you pretty much every show deals with black men's perspective as to what's necessary for a political agenda. Cube was talking about the black community. And yet he was painted as a sexist because he didn't highlight and, and, but this is more than highlight. He didn't go and ask permission and authority again from the gynocracy to give him talking points that they pre-approved that would foreground black women's experiences and somehow subtly deny that black men live a different experience altogether and may have a different set of needs and issues that are not controlled by black women. Nobody called him a misandrist for ignoring black men, but he didn't point them out. I'm not even calling him that, and I advocate for black men all day. But he talked about the black community, and that was seen as inherently sexist because he didn't privilege out and foreground black women and LGBTs. He could have done that with black males, too. And there is a discussion for that, believe it or not. There is. 
all right so watch this if you want to but again it, it's one of the main public forums where i saw this question of whether or not one is supporting black women and lgbt's enough even though they don't call them out specifically despite and, and seeing the basic assumption there too was that he was he was foregrounding black men now why is this cube never mentioned black men could it be because he is one and therefore identity politics plays out to where you must be doing something even if you're there's no record of you doing it simply because of what you are so in other words this agenda might have been acceptable if he were a woman or lgbt it might have been acceptable in that form because because he it, it, the idea is that he is properly representing those groups by being one and you can't do that if you're not one. But again, it also presupposes that black men have no gender or sexuality to speak of. You know, another ish, list of concerns in and of, himself, of themselves, right? None of that seems to exist. And yet, and this is a shout out to a woman I've had on my show before, Zakia Sankar Jabara, if I pronounce that properly. Um, she provided a couple charts. She did an interview. I think you might want to check out on um, what is that show? Dang it! I apologize, Zakia. I don't have it in front of me. Um, damn! I was I wanted to put it in the in the uh, in the comments. I did post it on my Facebook page, but I didn't. Uh, I wasn't planning on talking talking about that for this show, so. I didn't foreground it, I apologize, but I think uh, I will pull it up just so I can get it right. Because it was an excellent interview, and in it, she was not only defending Cube, but it wasn't it wasn't defending Cube per se on the basis of, of what he was putting forth in the in the in the uh you know in the plan. It was defending him against uh, assaults on him and black men as a whole that actually had nothing to do with the plan. That was the irony to it. Right? And she actually had to, here it is. Um, let me see. All right, this is uh, Fly Nubian Queen, right? And the title of the, art, uh, of the video is Trashy Feminuts Continue to Trash Ice Cube and Black Men. So you had to put those two together because that's precisely what they were doing. So she presented these data in that particular show, and I wanted to foreground it yet again, because I thought it was important. She talked about egalitarian attitudes amongst racialized males, right? Hispanic, indigenous, Asian, Pacific, Pacific Islander, black men and white men, right? And so the question was, we have gone too far pushing equal rights. And the further to the right that you go, the more you are in, in agreement with the term that we've gone too far pushing equal rights, right? And yet you see black men holding ground, right? Basically arguing we haven't gone far enough, right? She also provided this next one coming out of the American National Election Study Cumulative File, 1948 to 2016, right? Egalitarian attitudes amongst racialized males. Our society should do whatever is necessary to make sure that everyone has an equal opportunity to succeed. Again, the more, the further to the right you go, the more in agreement you are with that basic statement. Who's in the lead there? Is that, are those the black men that we see represented in these discussions about political activism? Black men are in the lead on the question, 
that society should do whatever is necessary to make sure that everyone has equal opportunity to succeed. Black men more than any other group of racialized men, right? We don't know how to talk about that, right? We don't, we don't know how to foreground black men in such manner. We don't know how to do it. So let's actually look. What's Cube talking about? Right? So he does this, uh, the contract with Black America, with Dark Hamilton, professor and executive director at the Kerwin Institute at Ohio State. Right? Incoming Her Henry Cohen, professor of economics and urban policy, university professor at the New School. Right? Contract with Black America. Says so the contract with Black America strikes at the heart of racism and presents a blueprint to achieve racial economic justice. Written in the backdrop of the killing of George Floyd, which set off a wave of protests not seen since the civil rights era of the 50s and 60s, and a global pandemic in which the black mortality rate is more than double the white rate, and which 45%, nearly half of black-owned businesses closed. That the impact of something presumably random, such as, pandem such as a pandemic, however, catastrophic, can be so linked to one racial, one's racial identity is highly problematic, and further evidence that, as a nation, we are failing miserably. These links to a larger political and economic vulnerability, whether we're in a pandemic or not, the immoral devaluation of black lives has been ingrained in America's political economy and is long overdue for a reckoning. Right? So they go into some detail. This particular document, I believe, is about 22 pages. Right? But there's a, you know, you, you can go to the website itself. It's a 22-page full thing, but you can go to the, the shorter version where you can link to the specific subjects, and there are about 13. Right? 13 subjects, representation, lending reform, federal funding, federal reserve, finance oversight, data and credit, prison reform, judicial reform, police reform, FCC licensing, Confederate institutions, AGP program, black responsibility. Word. And yet somehow this has generated a furor because this has all somehow become associated with, uh, you know, selling out to Trump. All right. So when you get a chance, check out the 22 page full contract in and of itself. Give me your thoughts. You know, I think it's it, it's 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 more widespread than Cube is giving credit for. But this is not about Cube. It's not about celebrities. It's not about, you know, who should be the voice of all black people. It's really about a concerted effort by a, a large group of people to advocate on the behalf of their own community and put forth ideas in their own right. You see, part of the problem here is some people are jealous that Cube has gotten the attention he's gotten. That's really what this comes down to. And so bad-mouthing him has become a way to try and generate some of the, the, the attention that he's getting onto others. How many of you have actually heard critiques they had of his program versus critiques of black men? What's the difference you've noticed? That's the question I'm curious about. Right? That's the question I have. Much of the critique that I've heard, much of the furor, much of the intensity has not been about Cube's plan. I don't hear a lot of debate about the finer points, about the bullet points, right? About the various issues, right? 
He's talking about bank loans. He's talking about Federal Reserve. I'm not hearing discussions about baby bonds, which is something that Hamilton has been a proponent of um, for a while now. We heard him come, you know, articulating that through ADOS. I think there was somewhat of a falling out there. That I'm not sure uh, privy to the details of. But nevertheless, uh, you have all of these ideas being put on the table. I have not heard, and I'm not suggesting it's not happening. I'm simply saying that in the larger discussions I'm seeing around this, they are not dealing with the finer points of the plan. They're simply dealing with, uh, you know, a long-standing, low-boiling misandry that is given is given opportunity to be expressed at random points. Right. So I urge you to check it out. And and while you're at it, you can look at uh, Trump's platinum plan, right? He lays out his bullet points here, right? Promise to black America over four years, 3 million new jobs, 500,000 new black owned businesses, increased access to capital. Now, the question I'm hearing, I'm hearing being tossed here is why engage Trump because he's a known liar? I consider most politicians known liars or at least inconsistent. They're wind socks. They flow with the prevailing breeze. I have no inherent trust in any of them, but that doesn't mean that a critical mass of people can't push and legislate and leverage their own position. Doesn't mean that can't happen. Even a small group. If you look up Antonio Gramsci and his concept when he talks about hegemony, most people define hegemony as like an oppression from one group to another. It's not actually what a hegemony was, was limited to. Gramsci talked about hegemony as um, really a set of relational forces. And basically one of the things he argued is that even small groups can leverage their position when in the right circumstances. This is something that black Americans could, black America can stand to do. You don't have to have all the power in the world to make something happen. It would be nice, but since that's likely to not happen overnight, how can we leverage our position? It's one of those things that can actually be pushed right now if people are willing to do it. 800 people watching, please like, share, and subscribe. Right. And then compare the full contract we talked about here, uh, cubes of contract with Black America, related to Trump. Now, pull up, I'm understanding apparently uh, took some cues from Q, the platinum plan and related to the Lift Every Voice plan from Biden. One of the things that I've heard most about Biden's plan is his reference to minorities. You know, this refusal to address black America in and of itself, right? But here's his plan, he limits, he bullet points them out, right? Economic mobility for African-Americans, close the racial wealth and income gaps, expand access to high quality education, tackle racial inequality, far reaching investments in ending health disparities, Strengthen America's commitment to justice. You know what the problem with this shit is? And this is the, one of the reasons that the Platinum Plan is so much, is so controversial. Because whether inspired by Cube or not, one of the things Trump did is he gave specifics. Now, is he going to follow through? That's not my point. My point is, this is some nebulous shit that I'm seeing here. Nebulous. What the hell does strengthen America's commitment to justice mean? Now, he goes into some specifics a little bit later, but it's not the level of specificity that we need. Right? 
that conversation with Cube needed to happen now. Didn't need to happen, doesn't need to happen after the election. But I'm understanding that uh, there are talks that are still going on. So we're gonna see what people pull out of their hats in the next few days, right? But that aside, what I'm interested in you doing is supporting the black male political agenda. Because here, I'm not just talking about the community as a whole. You guys know I talk about flat blackness, right? This idea that black men's uh, black men are welcome as long as our numbers contribute to the agenda that other demographics are cool with within the black community. But when it comes to black male specific issues, there's really no space for that. Now look at the vitriol Cube is getting just for proposing something. Nobody's even talking about what he's proposed. They're talking about him as an exemplar of all black men. So if they're doing that, or have we even gotten to black male specific issues yet? I don't think so. I don't think I've seen it, except for here. If you go to the blog, newblackmasculinities.wordpress.com, you can see the breakdown of the black male political agenda. Right? Look at it yourself. It is the second post when you go to the site. The first one is about becoming a member and supporting the channel. But the second one is the black male political agenda. Family court reform is number one. Education, number two. Affirmative action, number three. Targeted homelessness programs, number four. Targeted unemployment, number five. Law enforcement, number six. Intimate partner violence and homicide policy reform is number seven. Health targeting cancer is number eight. And we will probably add some components in there in terms of access to health care. Number nine, targeted small business support. Number 10, social security and life insurance family support. Number 11, paternity leave. Number 12, reverse voter disenfranchisement with some historical context for where it comes from. Number 13, blackmail specific reparations. And number 14, genocide to black males. Specific to black male needs. Now, there are a couple of uh, what we might call additions, right? That I will go through very quickly because we're going to close out in a minute. Two more additions to the black male political agenda. Very specific. Any child support paid should be considered earned income due to it being taxed. Women are allowed to claim child support as an extra income, earned income that improves their credit and ability to finance vehicles and other products and services. Men who pay child support are not allowed to claim payments made when filing taxes, even when the amount can be a third to even 50% of their income. All right? That's number one. Number two, submitted by Chief in the South. I suggest that we push for policy that exempts child support payments from the applicant's gross income when they apply for public housing or housing assistance. The payment is counted as income for the custodial parent and counted in the gross income for the non-custodial parent. Their gross income dictates their acceptance in the program and their rent amount. Some men may not qualify due to their gross income being over the limit, but he may not actually bring that amount home due to child support payments. His rent may be exceptionally higher since HUD states that 30% of gross income should go to rent. This leads to a plethora of issues for many brothers in my community, such as black male homelessness, joblessness, and the propagating of children born out of wedlock. Now, uh, see, Shop Talk, I, I hope you come into the discussion uh, after the show, the office hours. I'd definitely like to hear your thoughts. 
All right, Richard, see you later. Appreciate the Cash App support, All right? So I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on these. I'm just adding them to it. But I'm saying simply that notice how we can have a discussion about black, the black community as long as it's approved of by certain groups, particularly feminist-oriented groups. But if black men hold that discussion without their authority, it's somehow inherently sexist, although we don't actually talk about the particular points in it. And, and, and at no point have we gotten to a black male-specific agenda yet. But it isn't to say that the black male-specific agenda encompasses everybody's issues. It's actually quite the opposite. It encompasses black males' issues. And that's why we're tabulating this and putting that on my blog so that there is a critical space that you can return to and share with others to articulate black male issues. Most of these points were contributed by people. I wrote a few, but most of them were just submitted because these are the concerns on black men's minds. Yet what other plan have you seen include black men's concerns? Don't worry, I'll wait. It's not happening. Not any large number. So, y'all know how I like to close out. So I will. Um... Here we go. I'm here to tell you, brothers, we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man-children, sperm donors, child support, wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, brainless henchmen, valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, warriors, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic and selfish and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace.